Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Garden. Garden. <laughs> we'll take one garden at a time. Yeah. Right, Julie Weiser. Yeah, there's a lot of gardens out there. That's day, true. So. All right. Good morning. Welcome to uh, our Smart Garden smart. Show. <laughs> and welcome to Julie Weisenhorn, who's... Uh, from the University of Minnesota, among other things. Yeah, good morning. Uh, did you grow up in Rochester? Wasn't I it? grew up in Rochester. I'm a Minnesotan. You are. Born and bred. All right. You and I were talking. By the way, if you have any kind of a lawn or garden question, call it in or text it in. Same number applies, 651-989-9226. And you know, we tend to get busy here. We do. we do, and it's the new year, and people are kind of past the holidays now, and yeah. not thinking about that as much. I think they're looking forward to 2020. Yeah, the year of clarity, I like to say. Well, it's January already. January. And, uh, you, do you get uh, these uh, catalogs, seed catalogs and stuff? I do get stuff? them. I just got two yesterday. You did? <laughs> some of them recycle. Some of them I look at, like to look at the pictures. Yeah, we're we're gearing up. I mean, it's not too early to think about your yard and garden. No, it's always, I I think actually for Minnesotans, with the exception of a couple of, um, you know, time periods such as over the holidays, uh, you're always thinking about, you know, what you're going to be doing in your landscape the next, you know, the next season. And even in the winter, and that's one of the things when you're looking at plants this spring, is to look for plants that have year-round interest because we have a lot of kind of a bleak, uh, landscape, yeah. and if you can add evergreens, or you can add trees with interesting form, or uh, or look for plants that uh, have interesting bark. Those are all really great uh, features of plants that that provide more than just your summer foliage and flowers. You get that winter uh, interest as well. You know, I once in a while talk about um, our Meyer lemon tree at home. Okay, and it's I. I <laughs> I, I don't get into an argument, but I, I thought you guys have said that it, it likes moisture. Yep. It's a tree, yeah. And how do you fertilize, how often would you fertilize it this, you know, now that it's inside? Sure. Well, when if it's actively growing, that's one of the keys about indoor plants is if they're not doing anything, they're kind of in a dormant state and, and just kind of hanging out there. But uh, if you see active growth, flowering, fruiting, new leaves then uh, then you would want to be fertilizing. And we always recommend about half strength because those containers will hold those fertilizer salts, and that's when you get that white, crusty stuff. Oh, yeah, top. yeah, yeah. So you, it's not draining out through the soil like it would in the backyard or in your garden bed. So uh, you want to use a diluted form of that fertilizer. And how often? Uh, well, I would do it probably every time that you're watering it. Oh, that often? Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah. Some great fruit on this one. Really? Oh, boy, big time. So I tell you about my Meyer lemon tree. Do. Okay, so I've talked about my Meyer lemon tree many times. How many years have we been doing this show? And I think I've I, I think I've had that tree for five years or so. And I have an article in Yard and Garden coming out, our Yard and Garden News uh, coming out in on mid-January. But I threw out my lemon tree. You did? I did. Uh, <laughs> and... <laughs> Even extension educators who work in horticulture have to give up the ghost at some point. And uh, I 
you know, I've had scale on that plant for a number of years and I've hand picked it off. I tried spraying with some of the low impact pesticides like insecticidal soap, neem oil, horticultural oil. I literally last year painted the entire tree and all surfaces with neem oil to try to suffocate the scale. Scale's very hard to see. And uh and so this year I've got scale again. Uh oh. And I and my tree is full of leaves, so there's a lot of scale. And it did bloom beautifully, but it was not holding on to any fruit. Uh, the scale was getting onto the fruit. It was on the flowers. It was really a nightmare. And so I pushed it out onto our deck on one of these warm days, and I sprayed it with neem oil, doused it. And a few hours later, I went out to look, and now the spray had caused fine webbing to appear. And fine webbing is indicative of spider mites. Oh, yes. So scale is pretty immobile. It doesn't you, It doesn't jump from plant to plant. And this tree in my house sat by itself. But spider mites are a whole other story. And I and this tree is in a room with my orchids and, and a few other house plants. And I just couldn't, I couldn't take it anymore. So out it goes. Carl helped me pull it out of the pot, went over the side into the compost pile. Wow. Yeah. So I am Meyer lemon tree less. <laughs> well, uh, Get another one. Well, I know, but now I'm kind of enjoying the real estate in my in my room. <laughs> it's a little <laughs> less crowded. Six five one nine eight nine nine two two six is the number for the phone call. If you want to talk to Julie or send her a text, same number. Six five one nine eight nine nine two two six. Back to the phones we go. Uh, Jim is calling, I believe, from Minneapolis. Jim, you're on with Julie. Hey, Julie, thank you very much for taking my call. God bless you, and happy holidays. Thank you, Jim. I got a question question for you. You're welcome. Most certainly welcome. Happy holidays again. And, you know, I have a question. My question is, how do you preserve your roses and your daisies and your beautiful carnations at this time of the year, your flowers, without digging them up? And what's a good compost to use for them? Dead fish? Uh, uh, Well, let's see. So these are plants you're growing in your yard. Is that right? So these yep. are plants that are in your yard? Yeah. So uh, you would want to, uh, they would hopefully be, first of all, uh, winter hardy. So they, uh, there are roses that are not very hardy here, but there are, we have lots of great shrub roses that are terrifically winter hardy. And uh, as far as the perennials go, like daisies and the carnations, the dianthus, you would want to just mulch those with some crushed up leaves or, or uh, shredded leaves. That's a great compost. And uh, just kind of pile them around the plant. And then in the spring, as you see the plant start to turn green or start to emerge, you can push that push those leaves aside and just leave it on the soil as mulch. And that will help to hold in, in uh, moisture. It also adds some carbon to the soil, which is important in our soils. And you want to just fertilize those. You can fertilize them with an all-purpose, uh, you know, a rose fertilizer or a perennial fertilizer. So in most cases, that compost will really help uh, to uh, add nutrients to the soil. Very good, Jim. Thank you. Yep. Jim leaves that line open at 651-989-9226. Uh, send a text if that's easy. We have some of those, too. Uh, here's one. My branches are bending with old apples in my orchard. Should I remove them this weekend or let them fall off naturally? I uh, well, you can probably. I wouldn't. Uh, I I think if they're going to break the branch, then I would go out and maybe just snap those off. Um, in most cases, they're going to fall off eventually, or an animal is going to come and eat them if you have deer or something, which uh, they'd eat the tree as well. But um, you can certainly go and just pick those off. 
No problem. No, it shouldn't be a problem. All right. Uh, now, I don't know if we did this, if, uh, if, if uh, um, well, Mary hasn't been here for a while, so maybe it was Teresa. What was the names, Texter says, of the catalogs you talked about with vegetables from years ago? We talking oh, about the heirloom vegetables. Heirloom vegetables. Yeah, so they can be found in lots of different catalogs. You can they'll be in the description of the of the seed or the plants that you can buy, and uh, some of them are things like seed savers. Seed savers is a good uh, catalog. They uh, they focus on protecting heirloom plants and propagating them and uh, collecting the seed and making it available. Um, they're out of Decorah, Iowa, so they're kind of in our region. And uh, but if you just look in the description of the plants, you'll see in a lot of these catalogs, there's a lot of uh, these heirloom plants that you can buy the seeds. Okay, good. You mentioned the phrase spider mites, Ugh. and uh, we're getting texts spider about the, that particular critter. Here's one. It says, "I have a bonsai with spider mites. What should I do?" Yeah, so you need to if you've identified it correctly as spider mites. I I'm sorry for that. Um, you would want to use a miticide. So spider mites are not are insects. They are mites. It's different. They have eight legs, um, but they are not spiders. And if I if Jeff Hahn was here, he could get more into the nitty gritty about what family they belong to. But they're mites. So you need a miticide. You need something that specifically is going to attack spider mites. And so uh, you would want to look at that label. And like with any any pesticide, you would want to. Uh, read the label. Now, one thing about spider mites is that they like hot, dry conditions. So our houses are quite warm right now. They're quite dry. And so it kind of creates a, a perfect environment for them to grow. If it, the plant is small enough and you feel comfortable doing this, you could put it into the sink or the shower and you could wash it off and that might get rid of some of the mites. But if, if it, it depends on how badly infested they are. Mm-hmm. So if it's really bad, then you're going to need to reach for a bottle, unfortunately. All right. I tell you what, Julie, we need to take a break. A quick one. Uh, inviting our listeners to join in. If you have any kind of a lawn or garden question, uh, call Julie or uh, send a text, 651-989-9226. That number applies to both the phone calls and the text messages. Hey, good morning. Welcome back <laughs> to our Smart Garden Show. We, sh- we sure have fun here, though, I don't, don't we? Yeah, we do. <laughs> Uh, at no one's expense, by the way. But if you have a <laughs> yeah. lawn or garden question, this is called the Smart Garden Show yeah. here on CCO. Right. And we invite your calls or texts as usual. Julie Weisenhorn, if you're just joining us from the University of Minnesota, down the road, let's talk about the Arboretum. Yeah, that's, that's a fantastic yeah. place. Oh, it's beautiful. Lynn is calling from Rice Lake, I do believe. Uh, Lynn, you're on with Julie. Julie, this spring and summer, we had a lab mix living at our house, a puppy. Oh, nice. And he, he decided that it would be nice to go and destroy my garden, literally oh. pull up all the plants, but no bulbs came up, no roots came up. Is there stuff still down there? Uh, boy, I that, yeah, <laughs> I, I do not know that. Um, it. I think you're just going to have to wait till spring, but boy, I wish I had a lab puppy mix in my yard. So. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, you're going to just have to wait, I guess, and find out and see what happens. Now, bear in mind, too, that if you planted tulip bulbs, squirrels really like those, too. So you may not blame the dog if you've lost some of your tulips. But, um, uh, the, yeah, that's tough with dogs. It's We get that question periodically about what do I do? My dog is killing my lawn. My dog is digging up my plants. My dog likes to eat my plants. 
And it is a matter of combination of training and it's also protection, like physical protection, fencing, until that dog is old enough that they, that they stop chewing on things or stop digging. Um, it's hard to do because, you know, as we know as dog owners that that's what dogs do. They dig and they, you know, love to run through the yard and stuff. But maybe there's a way you can put all of your most important plants in one area and kind of leave a more of a play area for the dog. There you go. It's an idea. Good luck, Lynn, with that. Six five one nine eight nine nine two two six. The same number applies to the text. Um, let's see, where is? The, oh, all right. I bought. Uh, Texture says some succulents at a big box store in November, and there have been spider webs oh. between the pot and the wall ever since. Do I have spider mites? Do you think between the pot and the wall? Could I be think just you regular have spider. spiders. I think you just have house spiders. Uh, the spider webs that the, the the webs that the webbing that the spider mites form is super fine. You can't see it. Unless you barely see it, I should say. I always notice it if I happen to spray even just water on a plant. Uh, you might want to try that and just see if the if the webbing is actually in the plants itself. And it's very, very fine. It looks a little bit different than uh, the spider webs that we see, you know, just because we haven't been, uh, you know, dusting corners or something. Um, and then if you have them on that succulent, I would, first of all, move them away from other plants. That's the most important thing. And then you might want to take them out of that, uh, out of their containers and put them in the sink and give them a good shower because they're likely probably pretty small. And see if that helps. And really pick through them, clean them off, wipe them off with a towel, see if you can do something, and then keep checking them. That's important with house plants. You've got to keep up on checking them. If you've had spider mites or mealybugs or scale, you've got to keep looking at the plants checking under the leaves, and uh, and trying to eradicate those pests as much as you can. Sometimes, like me, the plant has to go out because you don't want to sacrifice your other plants, too. Tell me about, you said, the scale on that uh, that uh, Meyer Lemon tree that you had to throw out. What, what It's not a critter, is it? Is it, it, is, is, a, it, it, it is, is a critter. A, it yep. is a critter. And scale is particularly difficult to control because it's a sucking insect. It produces honeydew. So if you remember from previous shows, honeydew is a clear, uh, actually, the sugar's, that the, the insect excretes. So they've sucked up the juices from the plants, and this is what comes out the other end. Uh, and it's clear and it's sticky. It's very hard. I call it honey glue because it's mm-hmm. really, really hard to get off of pots and furniture and carpets and rugs and, and the plants themselves. But you'll see that, and that's a, that's a sign of that insect. Mm. And the symptoms are that the leaves become kind of spotty-looking, um, they might uh, have some damage. And then the scale itself is very, very small, and it looks like a lenticel. A lenticel is a, a part of the stem that we see. It's a, a, a typical plant characteristic, but they're oftentimes confused with lenticels, these little specks that are sometimes on the stem of the plant. Okay. And so you look at the leaves, you look underside of the leaves, um, and you see these, in my case, they were a little tan, oval-shaped, uh, spot on the leaf, and when you you could scrape it off with your thumbnail, and it's a little covering over the insect that protects it, so it's really hard. You can't wow. when you spray it, you got to really know what you're. You know, you got to get at those insects because it. You need to have that spray kind of slide like the insecticidal soap slide underneath that covering. It's very difficult to get rid of them. Boy, sounds like yeah, it. really hard, and um, and they multiply rapidly, and the young, uh, the immature scale are tiny, tiny specks. You can hardly see them. The adults are bigger. Um, but there are some good pictures in that Yard and Garden news article that's coming out on the 15th of January. So you can 
You can uh, find the link to that on our website, extension.umn.edu and Yard and Garden. Uh, and uh, it's Yard and Garden News. You can subscribe to it. Uh, click on the subscribe button and you can get those uh, uh, bi-monthly alerts. So uh, twice a month, you'll get a, an email that says, you know, the Yard and Garden News is up and here's what's in it. And um, and you'll see that article called you know, Saying Goodbye to a Plant. It's always, as I say, a great resource to check out uh, yeah. the website. And especially this time of year when it's dead of winter. Right. And make, make some plans. But you guys have so much information it's on Good there. information. And my colleagues, uh, are, uh, Natalie Hoytel and Annie Claude, have written. They also have a, a blog as well called the Fruit, uh, what's, uh, let's see, it's the Fruit and Veg News. And so if you're a vegetable grower or fruit grower outside, uh, that would be a great thing to read. I always learn stuff. And then they also have a podcast. Uh, uh, and we have podcasts of the show yes. on that webpage as well. So their podcast is called What's Killing My Kale. I love it. And uh, and then we also have our podcast link there too. So if you miss the show or want to go back and listen, you can go back and just go to our website and click on, click on that. I'll take you right to it. Good deal. And if you want to call in this morning or text in, same number, 651-989-9226. Let's go back to the phones, Julie. Uh, Dennis is calling from Vadness Heights, I think. Hi, Dennis. What's your question? Good morning. Uh, I've got an ash tree that I just had uh, a fairly large branch cut off. Um, it wasn't unhealthy. It was just, um, I don't know, it was. It didn't just look Just in right. the way. Yeah, it was kind of in the way. Okay. And it's probably about, uh, it was probably, what, 12, 14-inch diameter right at the tree. Wow. And it was pretty good size. And uh, I talked to the guy, and he said that I shouldn't do anything with uh, the right. spot where it was cut. Is that, is that the, give me, did he give me good information? He certainly did. And it sounds to me like you had a professional arborist come in, which is the best way to handle uh, mature trees, especially major pruning like that. And he is correct. Yeah, I was just concerned about uh, the ash borer, and this is a very healthy tree. I've not had a problem with it, and I don't know if that uh, open spot on the trunk is going to uh, um, attract ash borers in the spring. Or No, it's not, actually. It is, uh, they are not attracted by that. It's not like oak wilt or uh, pruning apple trees in the summer uh, where we open up a wound and there's all sorts of critters and diseases that get in there. The important thing when you do prune a tree like that and you leave that, the research has shown that we don't, we shouldn't paint the tree uh, with, you should recommend latex paint or, or a wound sealer uh, because the tree will actually heal faster if it's just left to its own devices. So it creates kind of a donut uh, callus around the edge of that and then we'll close that up. Or, or kind of grow around it, and that protects it. And if you if you paint it, that tends to slow that down or really deter it. So uh, you uh, did the right thing. You had some professional come in, leave it open. It will heal itself and uh, shouldn't be a problem with the EAB. All right. Thanks, Dennis. Dennis leaves that line open, 651-989-9226. Here's a text, Julie. says, our favorite nursery, two nurseries, in fact, closed for good. Oh. We've been going to both for decades. That's is sad. ordering plants, spring annuals, online the way to go? I typically buy two and a half to four inch annuals for my gardens. Well, um, it's certainly an option to order online. I am a fan of, as you, as the uh, texter has indicated, of utilizing and uh, visiting our local nurseries. And I, you know, it, it does a couple things. One is you know where the plants come from. 
you have somebody who's standing behind those plants and saying, we, you know, endorse these plants. You have somebody you can talk to when you're looking for plants and you could say, what's the, I'm looking for an annual that is, you know, purple and it's this tall and it needs to grow in part shade. Can you help me out? And they can help you out with that. So great knowledge uh, resources. Plus you're also supporting the Minnesota economy and, uh, and people whose lives depend on, uh, you know, uh, selling these plants and taking care of Minnesota gardeners. So um, I think that that's, it, it's better if you go look for a new nursery um, and you get to look and feel the plants too. Now, online is sometimes the way to go with more exotic plants. Uh, if you're ordering tropicals, you're not probably not going to find as big a selection maybe in a Minnesota nursery, but they still have great tropicals, cannas and uh, you know, indoor plants. And so I would, I would kind of encourage you to find a new nursery or a couple new nurseries in your area that, that uh, you really like and build a relationship with the people who work there. They are there. Uh, they want uh, gardeners in Minnesota to have healthy gardens and choose the right plants. And, and you help support the economy. Absolutely. And I know we have to take a break shortly. I want to alert our callers, uh, Bill, Rita, can uh, hang on the line. We're going to be next up. And if you'd rather send Julie your text gardening type of question, uh, we haven't had any lawn questions uh, today. I, I'm not sure if that's no. because of the... because we the, can't see them. No. <laughs> 651-989-9226. That's the number. Um, maybe you can help me with this. Uh, Cheryl from uh, Hutch just sent a text. I was just wondering if you have any information about our experience, you think about this as we take a break. Okay. Uh, uh, regarding sub-zero hybrid tea roses bred by Dr. Brownell. Are you, are you aware mm. of that stuff? Boy, that's probably over my head. All right. We'll, uh, we'll, but I'll think about it. We'll research this okay. during <laughs> yeah. the break uh, here on News Talk A3OWC. And we're back. It's going to grab a cup, a cup of coffee, but I guess we don't have time. Uh, we have callers, as you can see, Julie. We have texters as well. Uh, let's get to them. Let's see who's been All waiting. Right, it would good. be Rita calling from uh, New Prague. Rita, you're on with Julie. Hey, yes. A question about um, watering indoor plants. I feel like my tap water is a little bit harsh and always leaves that kind of white, crusty on the on the um, top of the soil. Okay. So I'm just wondering what I can do um, to, I don't know, change that, or is it good for the plant? Does it not matter? That's a great question. And watering, ironically, is one of the main ways we kill our house plants. It's almost like we watered them too much. And I think that's because people uh, tend have a tendency to water on a schedule, and your plants don't always need that. And every house plant is a little bit different. So uh, you can one of the ways that you can alleviate any issues with water, and tap water can be difficult for plants. It has fluoride. It has chlorine. Uh, it has other additives to it sometimes. And uh, so I would recommend when you go to the grocery store is um, to get some reverse osmosis water. It's the drinking water where you bring a gallon jug and you fill it up and you take it home and you bring it back. I did that for a long time uh, for my orchids because they are sensitive to the fluoride and some of the additives in water and tap water. So that is one way you can solve it. You can also buy spring water, distilled water. The important thing to realize about uh, that kind of water is that there's literally nothing in it. There's no minerals. There's nothing. So you'll want to add a little bit of uh, an all-purpose fertilizer or a specialty fertilizer if you're 
growing orchids or African violets or something like that. So, uh, so that would be the recommendation is to use some of that water. Uh, you can also collect, people collect snow. I don't know if we have enough snow for that. That, and of course it melts down quite a bit. People also will, uh, uh, collect rainwater and keep it for the winter. I have that and I have a heated garage. So I have some rain barrels in my garage that we moved in there. And uh, I use that water to water my plants. So that's quite a bit of an undertaking. But if you just go to the grocery store, and get some of the uh, spring water, distilled water, or reverse osmosis water. You can go with that, and it works great. Good. All right. 651-989-9226 is the phone number. It's also the text number. And we have uh, a bunch of both. Let's see who's been waiting. Uh, Ken. Ken's been waiting there in West St. Paul with a question. Ken, you're on CCO. Good morning. Hi. Good morning. Morning. This question is specifically about the pruning paint that you uh, had in the other conversation. Sure. I've, I've always used pine tar and with no ill effects in my experience. And they, they, I, I understand they tell me not to. But I picked up some plants from a, a large established nursery, and their pruning scars showed use of a similar product, pine tar. And I asked them why, and they all kind of smiled and didn't really have an answer. I was okay. curious as to the use of pine tar specifically. And uh, as opposed to other pruning paints like latex and uh, other things. Uh, right. And why they would, it's kind of like your mother telling you, do as I say, <laughs> not as I do. So um, I'll, I'll hang up and listen on the radio if that's okay. all right. All right. Thanks, Ken. Thank you. Okay. That's a great question, Ken. I don't know about the differences with pine. I think pine tar is just another type of a, a, a wound protecting. When... Uh, if you talk to um, tree folks, they will also tell you that if you have to cut a tree during a sensitive time of the year, for example, uh, during the spring from April through June is high-risk time for oak wilt. And oak wilt is vectored through insects and also through root grafting. And and uh, if a oak with oak wilt is has branches that are rubbing onto the branches of another oak or uh, the, those roots are crossing underground or if the beetles are carrying them between uh, this particular beetles carrying them between the trees you can the trees can contract oak wilt which is will totally kill the tree so but let's say you have a storm in the spring a tree branch breaks off on your oak and you know it's a high risk time that would be the time that you would have to make that cut to remove that broken branch and you would then paint that wound at that time and the reason for that is because of this high-risk vector, uh, this high-risk time for oak wilt to be vectored. That's an example of when you would use a, a, a paint or a pine tar or something on that wound. But other times of the year when it's not high-risk time, uh, say like right now, um, and you did some cutting out there, the research has shown that not painting the wound will help that, that tree will recover just fine uh, and and actually recovers better without being painted. So I'm just going with what the tree folks have told us, our researchers in urban forestry, and uh, and so I, I don't know why the nursery did that. Maybe they were just being overly cautious. Um, but the research has shown that the tree will heal just fine without that tar. Now, except for those high risk times. Okay, very good. 
651-989-9226. Same number for the text uh, screen if you want to send Julia a text. Bill is calling from Minneapolis, I believe. Bill, you're on WCCO. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Mm -hmm. Um, I've had a a peacefully in my family for a long time, and I live in an apartment that just has egress windows. And so I was just curious, the question about uh, growing lights. Okay. When... I would know that maybe it's a, a good time to get them if I need it. And also, is there a store in town, or how would I go about finding one and and uh, any particulars on that? I'll just hang up and listen to the answer off the phone. Okay, Thank you. Great. Uh, there is more. There are more options for grow lights than ever. In the past, we would there was the specialty grow lights, the uh, kind of purpley bulbs that you could buy. Very expensive. And uh, research showed that really just your ordinary fluorescent bulbs were just as good. So you can use uh, just a shop light fixture. Uh, and then now we have LED bulbs, which, of course, use, um, you know are energy efficient. They last long. Um, and you can buy them in different sizes and forms so that they fit into different kinds of light fixtures. You can fit them right into a floor lamp, for example, and put the, put it over the, you know, over the plant. Um, you can also buy, so you can buy a lot of different things now for lighting. And how would you know that a plant needs lights? Well, all plants, with the exception of some that are really low light plants and do fine in kind of dark corners, will require some light. And you'll see them just start to slowly, they don't look as, uh, their, their leaves are dull, um, their uh, leaves are turning kind of pale. They're um, they're they're just not very robust looking, and uh, and they'll start to basically you're taking away the light source that uh, creates uh, the opportunity. It's one of the ingredients for photosynthesis, which manufactures food for the plant by the plant. So uh, you could buy a floor lamp fixture, and you could buy a uh, like a LED bulb. And you can find those online. You can find them at garden centers. Uh, I've bought them in both places before. And uh, you would want to put that light on a timer and simulate daylight. So you'd want to simulate like 16 hours of daylight. Now, the one thing about peace lilies is that in their native environment, which is the tropics like Hawaii, uh, they actually are understory plants. So they do fairly well in a lower light. So they maybe would not need... uh that much light, uh, you could add uh, just a uh, turn it on for maybe eight hours, and um, and not put it too close to the light. It could be a broader light, um, and that would probably help a little bit. So I hope that's a good description. We do have a publication about house plants and lighting, indoor lighting on our yard and garden website. So uh, you can look under uh, extension.umn.edu, go to yard and garden. And then go to house plants, and there's a, a lighting publication there. All right, good, very good. Uh, let's uh, go back to the phones. Tim, I believe, is calling in from uh, Mendota Heights. Tim, you're on WCCO. Good morning. Morning. Say, uh, I recently saw an article about how we might be able to grow Zone Five trees in our changing climate here. Okay. But the thought occurred to me: Why would a Zone Five tree do any better in terms of when it's 30 degrees one day and and below the next, I would think they would suffer just as much as a zone four tree. Well, that's a that's a good question. So, 
Uh, what we're finding, uh, if you if you look in the nursery trade, we still recommend zone four plants for zone for for what's classified as zone four. So our zones are classified by uh, data from over thirty years that the USDA, the United States Department of Agriculture, has collected. And in 2012, they released their uh, the, the zone map that we use now for uh, qualifying what plants, you know, what's our cold hardiness zone. So I'm sitting in downtown Minneapolis. Our cold hardiness zone here, by rule of thumb, is a zone four. And uh, that is the plant that has shown over evaluation over many years to be uh, able to survive to, I think, the low temperature of like minus 35 degrees. So um, so that is considered a zone four plant. Zone five plants, what we found is that sometimes they will survive in microclimates in within zone four. So you may live in an urban environment where you have a protected backyard and you've tried a zone five plant and boy, it, it really does well. It may not live as long as it would in a true zone five, but it seems to perform well. Some plants, uh, the plant itself grows, but they they put out buds. They flower very early in the spring, and we oftentimes get hit with late frost. So those flower buds are killed off. Uh, examples are things like peaches and apricots. Um, some of these plants that in some cases, there's there's somebody who says, I've had a peach tree for 25 years and it produces every year just great. Well, that's just a very unique anecdotal case. Overall, from looking at research on these plants and evaluations, uh, a lot of times uh, those plants, they, you might get a good crop one year, but the next year the you get hit with a frost, a late frost, which is pretty typical in Minnesota. So if you try a zone five plant, uh, you are taking a chance that it's not going to be very long-lived you, it might work for a little while in your yard and perform fine, but uh, ultimately we still go back to those 30 years of data from the USDA that the USDA has collected and still recommend a zone four plant. So when you go to a garden center and you're looking for a plant, uh, you need to know what zone you are growing in and uh, and then find a plant uh, for longevity's sake, find a plant that's going to, uh, that's uh, suited to that zone that is can survive that zone. All right. Did I get no, everything I, there? Did I, that make I got, sense? Yeah. It's Although all, I, I've done that too. I, I've tried mm-hmm. it. Of course, last year is not a great year for boxwoods. Right. One out right. of maybe a dozen boxwoods I had, yeah. I bought a zone five and that didn't do any better. Or it didn't yeah. do any worse it didn't than do the any four worse, because right. of last winter. Right. And yeah. that's the other thing too. We're because of climate change, we are having these huge swings variability in our uh, moisture, in our temperatures. And it's very hard to say, you know, for sure that even a zone four plant yeah. is not going to have winter damage That's on true. it, like you said, those boxwoods. That's right. All right. Quick break is in order. We'll uh, come right back on our Smart Garden Show. If you have a question for Julie Weisenhorn from the U of M, call now or text now, 651-989-9226. Welcome back to our Smart Garden Show. We are around here on WCCO every Saturday in the 8 o'clock hour, always welcoming your phone calls and text messages. 
Uh, we're being aided again by Julie Weisenhorn from the University of Minnesota. And before we go back to the phones or text messages, I want to talk about, I was mentioning off air that I had seen an ad in a magazine about the Arboretum. Yeah. And I didn't realize that the month of January, there's free admission. Yes, there is. I just found that out myself. Uh, so that is that is true. There is free admission to the Arboretum the month of January. It's a great time to go out there. Everyone thinks, oh, but the gardens. What's going on in the gardens? The landscape is beautiful in the winter. Beautiful. And going back to the very start of the show when I talked about winter interest, this is an awesome opportunity to go out and look at plants in their winter form and maybe think about, hey, that would look great in my yard. Or, boy, I really like the form of that evergreen. This is a great chance to go out and see what those plants look like in a a winter landscape. And you might have some ideas for things that would work in your yard, too. They also have snowshoeing. Yeah, if you want activities. You can just hike. uh, And, oh, my gosh, the, the Great Hall is gorgeous. They do such a decorating. Uh, they really went over the top this year. It was absolutely breathless. And somebody is saying now they're talking about this Arboretum. Where, where, do, where, where the heck is it? It is uh, west of the metro on uh, Highway Forty, uh, Highway Five, and at the just past the intersection of Five and Forty One. You'll so, see it off to your left as you're heading yep. west. And yeah. this is, by the way, the last weekend of the Winter Lights exhibit. They have uh, fantastic lights that are designed specially to show uh, to be uh, University of Minnesota releases, plant releases. So there's an azalea light and a Honeycrisp light, and they're fantastic. And uh, actually, we're going to be going out there tonight to take a look at those. Yeah, we didn't get a chance on New Year's Eve because uh, we were busy playing. But um, but that's um, this is the last weekend for that. It's over tomorrow, Sunday at nine o'clock. And uh, so get out there now and, and it's free admission. Pretty good. Pretty awesome. Pretty good. Back to the phones we go, Julie. Kelly is calling from Andover, I believe. Kelly, you're on WCCO. Hi, good morning. I have a rhubarb-related question. Okay. Uh, we have a nice um, growth of rhubarb at home, and my family enjoys it during the summer. As we are moving towards spending some time down in Florida over the winter, is rhubarb able to be transplanted and grown at all in the, in the Florida environment? That is an excellent question. Uh, I My initial thought is no, uh, just because it is uh, the plants that you've been growing here have been grown in Minnesota, so they become acclimated to our Minnesota temperatures. Um, I imagine you would see more issues with uh, maybe leaf diseases because of the humidity. But that being said, I have never tried that. And uh, that would be something that maybe you could look at the University of Florida at their extension site and see if they list rhubarb as something that you can grow. I would probably, if you're, if you're renting a place or if you're, uh, you know, if you have a timeshare there or if you ha- own a condo down there or uh, own a house, I would probably buy rhubarb down there and plant it there. Uh, versus bringing it from here. I don't think it would be very successful uh, coming from Minnesota to grow in, in Florida. But, you know, everything's an experiment sometimes with gardening. Uh, but you might want to just pick up a plant down there. Plus, the other thing about that, I, thinking about uh, pests and diseases, if you are carrying plants from one state to another, you may be transferring diseases or pests from one state to another. So it's best to purchase the plants locally and grow them locally and not carry them back and forth across state lines. 
That's how a lot of our pests get uh, moved around pretty quickly by us humans. Probably one of the good reasons you can't fly with uh, That's that right. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to go back and say buy the plant in Florida, yeah. grow they, it in Florida, leave it in Florida. Sounds good. Six, thank you, Kelly. 651-989-9226. Texter says, I have a very old Christmas cactus and very big. Can it be cut back and does it like to be root bound? Uh, it... They they actually like to be well-drained. Um, Root-bound, mm, maybe a little bit. They don't like to be transplanted very often. So I would say, yes, they, they do quite well uh, for a long time in the same container. You can take cuttings of that plant. Uh, the, uh, the sections of what we call the leaves of the plant are co- actually called cladophils. And you can, you can snip those off or snap them off. Dip them in a little water and then in a little rooting uh, hormone. You can buy that at your garden center and then put them into another pot and they should root off of that. Uh, that hormone props root formation. If you have a very old plant, I would suggest you do that because a lot of times those plants have been passed on through the family. And uh, boy, your name is mud if you kill your great grandmother's Christmas cactus. <laughs> so it's it's a nice way to to share the plant with other members of your family as well, and say, yeah, this is mm-hmm. great grandma Ida's Christmas cactus, and now it's yours. <laughs> so you could do that too. It's very hard to to um, uh, repot very large plants. You're going to need another person to help you out with that, so that there's minimal breakage. All right. Uh, let's grab some more text messages. Uh, I don't know if you can feel this or not. When I when I water my plants, I smell a musty smell. Oh. What should I do? So that musty smell could very well be uh, uh, the soil is is overly wet and uh, and that it's maybe mm. degraded. And you might want to be repotting those plants if you if you have that smell. Is that tough to do? Depends on the size of the plant. Yeah, certainly. you know, if it's a small plant like a. You know, African violet, it's not too hard to do. But if it's a big plant like a lemon tree, oof, oof, duck. That would be, yeah. <laughs> a couple of folks helping. Yeah, but that. I would repot that then and, and put some fresh soil in and use uh, garden soil, use um, indoor soil that you have purchased that's sterile. Don't go out to your garage or uh, especially if you've kept it outside because it can oftentimes have insects in it. Mm. Um, try to use fresh soil for indoor plants just because you're not bringing in any pests then. Makes sense, too. Save that other stuff for your pots outside. Julia Texters uh, says, how often should I water inside geraniums I have wintered in my bedroom? Oh, that's a great thing to do in the winter. You really, they grow very nicely indoors as houseplants. Uh, You would want to feel the soil, and when the soil probably top few inches are dry, then you would want to water those. Make sure they drain well. That's true of all houseplants. Uh, You can set them in the sink and water them. Geraniums are very forgiving as uh, houseplants. They do well. They they are fine being watered with tap water, uh, and uh, and you can kind of keep cutting them back, and you can root those other uh, sections uh, again. Dip the end in water. Dip the end in rooting hormone. Put it in a new uh, uh, a fresh uh, pot, and uh, and uh, so yeah, just feel the soil. Okay, and water as needed. Another text, Julie, says this. One of my friends had this severe winter burn. We were talking about boxwoods last winter. So at the end of this past summer, they cut all the boxwoods down to the ground. Will they come back? Ooh. Mine didn't. I don't think so. It's going to depend if there are still viable buds on those, the part of the plant they left. So they might be replacing those boxwoods. Time will tell. Yep. 
Wait till spring. Patience. Wait till spring. Yeah. yeah. It's going to so, take a long time for him to get to a decent oh, size. Oh, I should too. say. Yeah. They're very slow growers. I, big time slow. Yeah. I've heard, Texter says, rhubarb will not grow in a climate where it does not have hard freezes. Oh, yeah. Well, there you go. Our listeners are smart. Oh, they, we, we have. Yeah. Yes, for sure they yeah, are. Yeah, probably not. But again, if you are if you overwinter someplace, if you overwinter, if you winter someplace, uh, buy your plants in that location. Buy them locally and grow them locally. Mm-hmm. Don't carry them back and forth um, between the uh, location. Okay. To transfer disease and insects. Another text, Julie says, good morning, Denny and Julie. Just out of curiosity, where does Zone 5 begin? Is mm-hmm. the southern Iowa border the line between 4 and 5? The southern Iowa border. I wouldn't think the southern. So, not the southern Iowa. Yeah, it's actually, we have a little bit of Zone 5 along our uh, border and some counties. I think Houston County, Fillmore County. But zones are not straight lines. Uh, you have to, the best thing to do is go on the USDA website and t- enter in your zip code, and it will tell you what zone you are in. Because there are even pockets of Zone 5 uh, in Hennepin County. And again, it's based on records, on temperature records from over 30 years of information. So, um, so you need to put your zip code in. And we in Minnesota have Zone 3, we have Zone 4, we have a little tiny bit of Zone 5, And that actually changed uh, from the previous map. We had Zone 2 that was up in the corner of the state, up in Kitson County, for many years. Uh, When they reissued the new map uh, in 2012, we lost Zone 2. We now have Zone 3, 4, and a little bit of 5, which we did not have any 5 before. Hmm. So it's not a straight line. You can't draw a line like a latitudinal line. So what did you say to research? Go on what? Go to the uh, USDA website, usda.gov. Just you can Google cold hardiness map and and you have the opportunity to enter in your zip code and that will tell you the zone you're growing in. Okay. Julie, we have about a minute to go. Let's kind of backtrack a little bit and talk about the website and what we can find there. Yes. So if you are looking for information, people have been asking about rhubarb uh, for for example, on our extension.umn.edu website, we have uh, an opportunity. You can go to Yard and Garden, and uh, and there you can uh, subscribe to our Yard and Garden news blog, which comes out every two uh, weeks. And we also have podcasts of this show. We have podcasts of What's Killing My Kale, which is our uh, fruit and vegetable uh, folks uh, podcast that they've created. We have also the Fruit and Vegetable blog. And we have lots and lots of web pages, including diagnostic tools about what's wrong with my plant. Is this plant a weed? What insect is this? And then all sorts of uh, uh, web pages about houseplants and flowers and trees and shrubs and lawns, lawn care. And so it's a wealth of information. And that website is? Extension.umn.edu. Go to Yard and Garden. Great to see you, Julie. Good to see you, too. See you again down the road. We'll be back with more Lawn and Garden Talk next Saturday. Here on News Talk 830 WCCO, 8 in the morning. We hope you can join us then. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. 
Price and coverage match limited by state law.